0: So, uh, just a couple of quick things. Um, some of you are watching online. I've got to keep looking here, sorry. Some of you are watching online, and it keeps freezing. Um, that's uh, not necessarily a result of us. We're running just fine here. Uh, it may have something to do with uh, about three million churches trying to c- croach in on our creative idea to f- stream live on Facebook. So, uh, if they would just be a little more original, we wouldn't have any trouble, but that's all right. Um, what I want you to do is, if you have your Bibles, go to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah 29 is where we're going to be. I'm going to launch from a very surprising place. If you've been with us at Uniontown for a little while, you know we're working through the book of Mark. You also know that uh, this week the intent was for us to preach uh, Mark chapter 12 and talk about render to Caesar what is Caesar's, render to God what is God's. Um, But because of the events of the week, I decided that was probably not what God would have us to go through, so we'll do that at another time. However, uh, if you have been reading your chapter of Mark every day, um, this week was Mark 12, if you read it over and over and over again, by the time you got to the end of Mark 12, what you would have come across is a very familiar passage where a scribe approaches Jesus and says, so what's the most important commandment? And Jesus' response is, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so today, what I want to do out of Jeremiah 29 is to engage the difficulty that is to love our neighbors as ourselves. I think for most of us, although it's difficult to love God most, I mean, for those of you at Unitown, you know our mission statement, love God most to love others best. It's difficult for us to love God most, but you can fake that one pretty good just by going to church every week. People can think you love God most, but it's really difficult to fake loving your neighbor best because quite honestly, People in the community catch on if you're a jerk. Um, And so it's difficult to hide that. And so it's really hard to love others best, particularly when your foundation has been shaken. Because you become so focused on yourself and taking care of yourself and finding hope and confidence for yourself that you stop looking outside of yourself. And so this morning, what I wanna do, just in the next few minutes, I'm gonna look at the setting that surrounds a very familiar verse. I want to focus on us just for a few minutes and then I want to try to get all of us to turn our gaze outward, to look at other people and focus on what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves or to love others best, particularly in the situation we find ourselves in. So let me, right out of the gate, let me read Jeremiah 29, 11. I mean, we love ourselves some Jeremiah 29, 11. It's on all kinds of coffee mugs and great cards that we hand to people because it's like this incredibly encouraging verse, but I want to make sure that we are paying attention to the context it finds itself in. Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, this is the Lord's declaration, plans for well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So let's talk about the story that surrounds that verse. Jeremiah is writing to the exiles, the men and women of God who have been taken into captivity and brought to the land of Babylon. Around the year 600 B.C., give or take a few years there, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon are just rolling through the known world. So they've come into Jerusalem. They've sacked the city. They've conquered the people. They've dragged them back to Babylon with them. And now all of Israel is living with the Babylonians. It's a different situation for them. It's very uncomfortable. But, but here's the crazy part. It's not just Israel. Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon have taken over much of the known world by this point. And so now what uh, one person may look at it and say, man, this is a huge world. We'll never get to know those people. Suddenly, the world has shrunk because it's all underneath the control of Babylon. Their entire lives are upside down. Normal life is no more. And they're stuck in a place they don't want to be. Moms, that's you in a week and a half. Maybe I'm being optimistic. Moms, that's you tomorrow. Um, In the middle of this conflict, in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of the difficulty, there are false prophets who are going through the land. Chapter 28 names one, Hananiah. And they're going through the land and they're saying, hey, look at, look around at all this stuff. It's no big deal. Get over it. This is nothing. It's not going to last long. I mean, Babylon's going down two years at most and we'll be back home. And the people were listening to these false prophets and yet, the message from God is very different. Let's look at verse 4 of Jeremiah 29. This is the message of God to the people. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles that I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, don't decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams that you are eliciting from them, for they're prophesying falsely to you in my name. I haven't sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. What God's response to the false prophets is, is this, don't listen to those liars. And it's interesting, verse 8 tells us, these liars are telling lies based on the dreams of the people. So they're reading the congregations of the people, like, you want to hear this? Well, it just so happens, that's what God says. And God says, stop listening to the false prophets who are giving you prophecies based on your hopes and your dreams. Two years... You think you're going to be in Babylon two years? Look at verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning to you to restore you to your place. Two years is nothing. You're there for 70. You should get comfortable. So the people needed to hear that message from God because that was truth. It was perspective. They needed to hear promises They were actually promises. And that's what Jeremiah does next. And that's where verse 11 comes in. I know the plans I have for you. The plans are for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future, to give you a hope. God says, I've got you. I'm not abandoning, abandoning you in the middle of the difficulty. I'm going to see you through this. I know what's on the other side. I'm with you. His other promise, verse 12. You will call to me and come and pray to me And I'll listen to you. God says, here's another specific promise. When you pray, I'm going to hear you. Which, if you understand the context of the book of Jeremiah, that is startling. The people in the book of Jeremiah have done nothing but ignore God repeatedly. They had no conversations with him. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. And yet here God says, even though you've forgotten about me, I haven't forgotten about you. I will still listen to you when you call on me. Verse 13, another specific promise. You will seek me. And you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. God says, I'm here if you look for me. I'm not hiding. And so, contextually, in the story of Jeremiah, in the middle of their greatest difficulty, the exile to Babylon, God says, I've got you, I hear you, and I'm here. So how does that apply today? Well, I want to just kind of hit a couple of of high points and, and things that I think, this first one we're all aware of. is real. Difficulty is real. That one's just universal. It, it doesn't matter what religious background you have. It doesn't matter what level of spirituality you think you've attained. It doesn't matter where you grow up. You know every day we face some sort of difficulty or another. It can be in your relationships. Your marriage is on the rocks. There's conflict at school or at work because relationships are difficult. It can be tragedy. Tragedies are regular, whether that be you turn on the news and you hear about an earthquake, a, a tornado, you hear about the plane crash, it could be a, a car crash. Tragedies are everywhere we look. Disease. I mean, that's the one we're, we're paying the most attention to right now. But disease, even before this coronavirus thing, disease hasn't been abnormal. And in, in, in fact, it's estimated that 39% of Americans will be diagnosed with cancer before they die. of Americans will be diagnosed with some type of heart disease. Disease isn't abnormal. Difficulty exists. Difficulty is real. Struggles are real. And that's been true since Genesis 3 when humanity decided to give it its best shot at playing God. And since that moment, we live in a fallen and in a broken world where difficulty is the norm. We just happen to be a little more aware of it today than we have been in the past. We're a little more keen on how difficult the difficulty is, because it's so incredibly different than anything we 've experienced before. and the problem is when that difficulty becomes so obvious to us and so much bigger than we've ever experienced, then, then we uh, face a danger of, of, of trying to find ways out of that difficulty. We try to shortcut the difficulty. We, we, you know we, we try to go back to that, that two-year plan. two years this is no big deal. Two years we find and, and in reality. That's not a new response to difficulties. We hate difficulty. We hate weaknesses. So if we can find a way out, even if it's not based on truth, we tend to run and jump at it. And the danger is then we start listening to half-truths or even full lies and using those to find a measure of hope somewhere. And that's the next observation I would like to make. False hope is cruel. It's not even false hope is no hope. False hope is cruel. I mean, for the prophets to come in in like two years, you just keep your head down for, for two years and then God's going to overthrow Babylon and we're going to go home because of course the message is God doesn't want you to suffer. He's going to spare you from all suffering. He's going to keep you from all difficulty. And if you are going through suffering and if you do happen to have difficulty, it's most certainly going to be short because I know the plans for, I have for you. A future and a hope. The problem was is that God never said he wanted to keep you from difficulty. I mean, sure, the message of I'm gonna get you out of here in two years and I'm gonna spare you from hard heartache and hardship brings a level of enthusiasm and acceptance from the people. And that's what we want, right? We want to give people hope. So the best thing that we can do today is give people this hope. It's not that big of a deal. This virus, just just don't worry about it. It's not that big of a deal. Just get over it. Let's just live life as normal. But we actually need to base our hope on truth, not a hope that's based on foolish sentimentality or worse, based on deception. I'll be honest with you, popular teaching of today and probably the most damaging that gives Christ the biggest black eye is just believe a little more and everything will be fine. If you just have a little more faith, then everything will work out. Your bank account will be full, your car will always run, your children will be obedient, your wife will be prettier, all those things. I mean, if you just believe a little more, that one's going to get me in trouble later. I'm hoping she's not paying attention, but we'll see what happens. (laughs) But but if we believe just a little more, then everything will be fine. We have nothing to fear. Everything will be fine. The problem is, is that when your job isn't saved, or your 401k plummets, or your marriage collapses. Or you don't recover from that health problem like you thought you would. Then you're crushed. And the people that we have made that, given that false hope to are crushed. And it gets to the place where it's like, well, I thought God's plans for me were good. Was it me? Was it my lack of faith? But worse than that, they start blaming God. Can God even be trusted? I mean, if you told me that if I just had enough faith, and I know the level of my faith was pretty amazing, and so I, I just had as much faith as I could, and so, so God should be able to carry his end of the deal, but evidently he doesn't. It's one of the greatest lies the American church faces today. Tell you, your hope isn't that God is going to keep you from difficulty. Your hope is that God will bring you through the difficulty. That hope certainly isn't as enjoyable to hear or live through. I mean, Jeremiah said the exile is going to end, but it wasn't a lot of fun to find out it's going to be 70 years from now. So what it calls for is a level of patient trust, and it's a level of patient trust that's only possible because instead of false hope, we can have real hope. Just as God says, you're going to be here a while, you can trust me, you can trust my plan for you, but for now, this difficulty, it's going to last for a little while. Just like the Israelites learned in, in Babylon, God's got this. This isn't bigger than him. None of this is a surprise to him. You anchor in on Jeremiah 29, 11, and it's not this flowery coffee mug verse. I know the plans I have for you. Plans for well-being, not for disaster, to give you a, a hope and a future. It, it's not this flowery verse. It's God telling us that in the middle of this difficulty, in the middle of this hard season, there's hope. And it's him. It's not a change in circumstances. Our hope's in an unchanging God. I mean, when difficulty comes, it stays for a while. No matter how hard you name it and claim it, sometimes the cancer grows. Sometimes the grief is darker. Just when you thought you couldn't freak out anymore, they closed the schools. They mandated no social gatherings of more than 250 people. You hear the state of emergency from Carroll County that there is now a coronavirus case in our county. Folks, difficulty is going to be around for a while. But there's real hope. Because God says in the middle of difficulty, even when you can't see it, I've got you. True hope is that even as we find our daily routines, our our creature comforts disrupted for the foreseeable future, that God's plan and his peace for us remains constant because God never changes and his promises never fail. Your hope isn't in the amount of trust and faith you can muster up. Your hope is built on God's unchanging promises. It's the promises that Jeremiah makes himself, even in the future chapters of Jeremiah uh, as you go through chapter tw- uh, 31, verse three, "I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have continued to extend faithful love to you." 31:13. I will turn your mourning into joy." 33, verse eight. "I will wash you from your iniquity. I will forgive your iniquities that you have committed against me in rebelling against me." So There's everlasting love. Your your mourning will turn to joy. Uh, He'll wash your sins and forgive your sins. And I was going to tell you, those aren't fulfilled when the coronavirus comes to an end. Those weren't fulfilled when the people returned from the Babylonian captivity. All of those promises come to us through the one whose name is hope. The hope that Jeremiah talks about isn't found in anything but in a person, and his name is Jesus. The Bible, from beginning to end, teaches us that we've all sinned against God and we are separated from God because of our sin. It teaches us that if we die in that state of separation from God, we will then be eternally separated from God. But God has given us a hope, a way for each of us to be forgiven in our sin, and his name is Jesus, God in flesh. And Jesus came to, to live a perfect, obedient life, no sin in him, and then he came to die, not, not for his sin, because he had none, but but, but for your sin and for my sin. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for all of our sin against God. So that anyone, anywhere, who turns from their sin and puts their trust in Jesus will be saved from all their sin and reconciled to a relationship with God forever. Everlasting love. Joy. Washed. And that's what hope is. So the hope is for us in Jesus Christ. So, that's the inward look. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. God's in control. And and the the goofy phrase that keeps coming up, trust God and wash your hands. That's really it. We still follow wisdom. But we also do it with a level level and a measure of faith. But what I want to do as we close here is I want to take just a couple of minutes to, to take that focus And instead of it being on, okay, where can I find my foundation? Where can I find my hope? Where can I find my comfort? I want to just turn it just for the last couple of minutes here. So that way what we're doing is understanding that in the middle of this situation, just like the people in Jeremiah's time, in the middle of our current situation with the coronavirus, the two weeks out of school, all of the potential craziness that could happen, you have real opportunity. And I don't want us to, to overlook that. God's perfect plan hasn't been placed on hold because life has been altered for a little while. We, we tend to think, oh, pause, stop everything. But, but that's not it. What, what God is doing, Babylon wasn't an interruption. But the people were, were longing for home, which, which that in and of itself isn't bad, but they had thrown away the opportunity of the day because they had longed for home so hard. But if, I, if I was only home, then I could whatever. If I was only free, I could, if only school wasn't canceled, I could do, if people weren't losing their minds and buying all the toilet paper for some reason, I could, if we could just get things back to normal, and to that I say a wholehearted and full-throated no. If we get things back to normal, you will ignore those opportunities as well. But instead, in this moment, here we are, and he is calling you to work for the good of your community. Jeremiah 29, verse 4, this is what the Lord of the armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles that I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves, have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, don't decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city that I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you thrive. This is an opportunity for us to love our neighbors as ourselves. But we're all into that love God most thing. It's hard to score that one but it's in situations like this that we can love others best. When Jesus answers the scribe, he ties those two commandments together in such a way that you recognize that if you don't love others best, if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, you probably don't love God most. So let's be the church. Let's be busy not the building on a hill. It's a great place. But let's be the church. Let's be busy about being the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. Finding ways to serve our community. How? I'm glad you asked. I've got some suggestions for you. How can we be busy about being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ? First, can't believe I have to say this. Don't hoard. Uh, I don't know if you've been to Walmart, Target, CBS, any grocery store, the dollar store, any store. What you will find is... Very empty shelves of some of the most ludicrous and ridiculous things. I cannot figure out why water is out at Walmart now. Why is everybody buying up the water? I didn't get the news story that somehow this virus is transporting itself through our water system. It, well, we're going to be okay. Don't hoard. That's a dumb one, but it's, it's true. How do we love our neighbors ourselves? There are people who need distilled water for their medical equipment for their children. And yet yesterday, when I went to get some for somebody, there was none. Let's, let's, let's keep a, a mental sharpness where we understand that our fear, our reaction of fear, is a reaction that makes no sense. Don't hoard. How else can we be the hands and feet of Christ? This Elmer Wolf food drive is huge. This one's right in our backyard. I mean, it's, it's down the road right there about a mile. We, we have the opportunity to host their food pantry because they're closing their school down b- because of the, the mandate that came out. And so we're able to move the food drive here, but folks, in sincerity, the, the people who use that food pantry are in great need. If we aren't supplying the food for that moving forward, then, then, then even that resource is going to dry up. And so this is an opportunity for us to feed over 300 people each week. Let's fill up the shelves. Let's encourage these people. Let's show them what it means to be the church as we love our neighbor as ourselves. How else can we be the hands and feet of Christ. Here's one. Keep an eye on your medical professional friends. Doctors and nurses. Um, I've talked to a few of them in the last three days. They are stressed out. Uh, you think the, the the paranoia is a lot at your workplace? Work in a hospital where the people coming in are convinced that if they don't have coronavirus, they have some other new virus that nobody's heard of. The, the, the tension and the stress is ratching it up, and it's gonna be easy for them to hit a wall soon, and they need somebody to come alongside them, encourage them, support them, buy them dinner, drop off some groceries, because they're working some long and hard hours, so keep an eye on your medical professional friends. Here's another way you can be the hands and feet of Christ. Call or text your neighbors, especially your elderly neighbors. Um, I'm not gonna put an age... um, (laughs) Because that gets me in trouble. Um, But our older friends, um, I'll be honest with you, many of them are um, struggling. They're they're not sure. There's so much news, and a lot of it's not accurate. Some of it is accurate. But there's enough news and enough reports that they're actually, some of them, are afraid to leave the house. That's our job then. Let's check in on them and make sure they're doing okay. Let's see if they need anything. And if they need anything from the store and they're not willing to go out, then let's run to the store for them. and, And then... Out of love for them, let's leave it on their porch and do the old knock and just wave as you walk to your car. That's one of the ways we can be the hands and feet of Christ is by taking care of our neighbors. Here's one. The Red Cross has announced that they're in danger of having a massive blood shortage. Give blood. If you're able to, you're healthy enough to give blood, let me encourage you to give blood. And I'm not just going to say that. Wednesday, the 18th, in Tawnytown. There's a blood drive. You can give blood there. If that's too early for you, next Monday, the 23rd in Kemar, there's a blood drive. If that one doesn't work for you, the 27th right down the road in Union Bridge. There's opportunities for us. To, that's a one very specific opportunity for us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Give blood. How about this one? Let's be intentional about supporting and protecting the most vulnerable among us. So I'm going to go off for a second, so just bear with me. There's been a lot of people who are playing this off. It's like, it's only killing the old and the sickly. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, If you've bought that line, then friend, no matter how many times you have voted for a pro-life candidate, you're not pro-life. You're pro-birth. There is dignity in the very fabric of of humanity. Every child is formed in the womb and is a person from the moment of conception and they have the image of God imprinted on them. But so do our aging and unhealthy. It's a choice, It's not a mandate, but it's a choice that we as believers need to make as we seek the peace of the community we call home. So if you're sick, stay home. Wash your hands. Keep a safe distance from other people. It's not reacting in fear. It's choosing to serve the least of these. It's choosing to look for the welfare of our community. It's choosing to love other people best. Would you join me in doing that? And then the last one, pray. Pray. I I think we our community takes a bad rap when we're like, just pray about it, everything will be fine. No, no, I want to be the hands and feet of Christ, and I want to pray. But I want to pray just as much as I'm trying to be the hands and feet of Christ. And so let's, let's, let's pray. And in fact, one of the things that we started online kind of by accident uh, this week uh, was at 2.13 every day, uh, I have an alarm set on my phone. At 2.13, for the past two days, it has gone off, and I am stopping everything that I'm doing at that moment No matter where I am, I have purpose to do it wherever I am. And so the first time was easy, I was in my living room. Second time, not so easy, I was at Walmart. However, it's not too unusual to see a guy in the corner talking to himself at Walmart, so I fit in just fine. So at 2.13, no matter where you are, have your alarm go off and pray. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for those who have the virus. Pray for the vulnerable among us. Pray for our doctors. Pray for our scientists. Pray that God would move among us in such a way that we, as a church, take advantage of the opportunity He has given us to love other people best. So, so difficulty is real, but so is hope in Jesus. So, let's be the hands and feet. So, the community gets to see Jesus in us. Be encouraged. God's bigger than this. Be encouraged. We have a very real opportunity to make a difference. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your incredible goodness and kindness to us. Thank you, Father, for an opportunity to serve in a very um, hands-on kind of way. Lord, I ask we would be faithful with that opportunity. And that it would go beyond just feeding people. It would go beyond just dropping groceries off. It would go beyond just taking care to wash our hands or to stay home when we're sick. It would go beyond giving blood. It would would go beyond even us just praying. But Father, it would get to the place where we are willing to open our mouths and point to Jesus and tell them, the reason we are doing this is because Jesus loves them. Not in some pithy little way. But he loved them enough to die for them. And we want to have the opportunity to tell them about that great love. So God, I ask that each and every one of us would take full advantage of that opportunity. And that every single one of us would be able to share in the joy of talking about you with them. Lord, would you watch over our scientists, our medical professionals, as they work hard against this virus. We ask that you would give one of them an idea that nobody else has had. We ask, Lord, that we would get the upper hand on the, the movement of this thing throughout our nation, that you would create in us a sense of peace. Father, that you would protect the vulnerable and the older among us, particularly among our, our family here at Unitown. I'm not gonna name names, but God, I know there's a couple of them that are really worried. So God, would you protect them and care for them? Cause us to, to when we think of them, to reach out by text or phone just to check in on them. Lord, I pray that you would not allow us to hide in the bunkers during this. But instead, Father, I pray that we would be on the front lines sharing the love of Christ with any and all who will listen. Protect us. Watch over us. Thank you for Christ. It's in his good name I pray. Amen. Amen.